Your Bibles are open to Joshua chapter number 5. We're not going to read the beginning part of this chapter, but we're going to look at verses numbers 10 through 15. Verses 10 through 15. The Bible says, And the children of Israel encamped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at even of the plains of Jericho. They did eat of old corn of the land on the morrow after the Passover, unleavened cakes and parched corn in the selfsame day. The manna ceased on the morrow, that means it stopped coming, on the morrow after they had eaten of the old corn of the land, neither had the children of Israel manna any more, but they did eat of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man over against him with a sword drawn in his hand. Joshua went up to him and said, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? And he said, Nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord, I am come. Joshua fell upon his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. God desires that we be spiritually prepared before we can be used by him in warfare. God desires that we be spiritually prepared before we could be used by Him in warfare. It's important to be ready for what God has for you. Uh, the Christian life is not just a battle. The Christian life, the Bible puts it as warfare. And most of that is going to be spiritual warfare in your Christian life. And I want to ask you right now, teenagers, are you ready for battle? Are you ready for spiritual war? Uh, if Satan and his demons were to begin tempting you, or he were to begin trying to influence your life, are you ready for war? I pray that you are, but tonight we're going to talk about how you get prepared for that warfare. How do you, uh, and obviously the book of Ephesians has much to say about putting on the armor of God that you can withstand in the evil day. Right, putting on so you could stand in that day of warfare. But tonight we're going to talk about being spiritually prepared before we can go in to warfare. Um, last year we went on a missions trip, and it was one of the coolest uh, youth group things that we have ever done, I think. And we, for that, had an application process. And through that application process, I think everyone that applied, it had some very uh, basic spiritual questions on it, everyone that applied. I was so surprised. Everyone that applied, I would have loved to have come. We had to ask a few people not to come just because of grade levels and things like that um, because they would have another opportunity to come and things like that. But everyone who applied should be able to come, so I want to put that out of the way. But after they applied for this, there were certain even spiritual requirements to go on the mission trip. And I can tell you this, that if we do another mission trip in 2021, if that ends up happening, which right now we probably won't, we'll probably wait until 2022. But I can tell you this, if there is another mission trip, there will be requirements spiritually of you. Why? Why would you put spiritual requirements? Pastor Scotty, that's like an Old Testament thing. Why are you putting laws in place to make sure that teenagers are following Christ? Because I want to make sure that teenagers I take to places to share the gospel are ready for battle. I want to make sure that teenagers are ready for warfare. And if you're going to be used of God, you better be close to God. If you're going to be used by Him, you better be in frequent communication by Him. Imagine being in the military and you never talk to your superior officers, how are you going to know what to do? How are you going to be ready in the day of battle if you don't even know who you're reporting to? I think many teenagers today are struggling because they don't even know who they're reporting to. 
Uh, They don't know the chain of command, and God obviously is at the top of all those things. I'll tell you this, I would have been a horrible youth pastor if I didn't put requirements in place when setting up a missions team and gave no suggestion about spiritual matters because God's work means participating in spiritual warfare. God here in chapter number five is preparing his people for spiritual warfare. And while I'm not going to touch much on the first nine verses, those nine verses are extremely important for a mature Christian to read through. And why do I say mature Christian? Uh, Christian, because it deals with a sensitive subject. Um, it, it deals with something that if I were to bring all those things out, there'd be Christians in here or just honestly teenagers who aren't mature enough to handle those verses. So I would encourage you to take those verses and to study them alone because there is great um, doctrinal significance to those nine verses. And I'm going to talk about it uh, briefly, but I'm not going to go into great detail. Um, it, but in chapter five, God is preparing his people for spiritual warfare. Um, a war expert, by the way. So uh, some background to this. What, what is happening to the people of Israel at this time? They've just crossed over the Jordan River, right? Is someone playing music or something? No, that's the gym. Okay, they have just passed over the River Jordan, right? God has stopped the waters and made them go all the way back to city? Adam. Adam. Very good, very good. You're looking down. Uh, he had made them go back all the way back to city Adam, and God showed himself powerful just like he did with Moses. He showed himself powerful, and he exalted his servant, Joshua. That's very good. So Joshua is exalted now in the people's minds. He is just done through the power of God, this mighty miracle. Um, not only that, but he has set up the memorial stones. That's what we talked about last time. Uh, what does he do after God does a wonder? He set up the remembrance, the memorial stones for the children of Israel to never forget the mighty wonders that God had done. So now what is taking place? Now they are on the other side of Jericho which geographically uh, to where the Jordan River is, this is just about two and a half or three miles away from the city Jericho. If you were a war expert, you would immediately, you'd probably take the day off, right? You've just passed over Jordan. You're encamping at a place that futurely, uh, in the future would be called Gilgal, but you're encamping at a place. You'd probably take one day to get your people hydrated. You take one day to get your people mentally prepared for battle, Because why? Because Jericho is two and a half, three miles away. And what do you know about armies? If you are in a place that you have never been, surrounded by people that want to kill you, do you want to stay in that place? No. God makes the people of Israel stay here for 16 days. And not only that, by the way, there's great significance to this. And you read verses 1 through 9 and see what God does. But there's great significance of what happens in those verses. For 16 days, not only does he make them encamp in the same place, but he takes every single man in the camp out of commission for 10 days. They are completely left open to attack. To any general or any person in war, this makes absolutely no sense, does it? If you're going into battle, man, you want to be ready and you want to be on the attack, right? Especially if you're in a place that cannot be defended. And that's where they were. They were in a place where they could do nothing. The people of Jericho, the armies of Jericho could have swiftly come and killed all of the Israelites because these men were out of commission. If you read verses 1 through 9, they couldn't have done anything about the attack. Uh, What am I trying to say by by all of this? God operates on a level that we don't always understand, right? God's victories 
are hard to comprehend. And the way that God fights for us is hard to comprehend. But Isaiah 55, 8 says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. Once again, God is showing himself powerful by doing the seemingly illogical thing. The thing that is not logical, that's the thing that he's doing. Why is he doing it this way? To show that the power is not in the people of Israel. The power is in God Almighty himself. Right? God is showing, hey, it's not about your might. It's not about what you can do. It's about what I can do through you. You're going to conquer Jericho. I've promised it to you. This is what's going to happen. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says this. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. God had put the people of Israel in a supposed vulnerable position. But that's exactly where (coughs) He wants His people. He wants them to be humbled. He wants them to recognize that the power is never of them, but the power is only of God. So let's notice tonight three ways that God prepares His people for warfare. What are three ways in this passage that God prepares His people for warfare? First of all, God consecrates His people. God consecrates His people. Uh, What does the word consecrate even mean? It's a formal dedication, right? Uh, In the Old Testament, there was a process called, and I won't go through the whole thing, um, there was a process for males called circumcision. And that's what the first nine verses are all about. Um, There was a process of circumcision in the Jewish religion that would show a man's consecration to the Lord. And when a man was circumcised, it showed that he was opening himself up to God that he was fully committing himself to the Lord. It almost had the idea even of remission of sins. The fact that he, is, he now belongs to God. He is a servant of God. And because he is circumcised, he now belongs to God. Now in the New Testament, that is not so. God actually talks about in the New Testament how God doesn't desire a man's circumcision, but he desires the circumcision of our hearts. What does that mean? That he doesn't mean that we should be outwardly or physically consecrated to God, but our inward man, which by the way is renewed day by day by God, is supposed to be consecrated to him. So what is God saying here? God is saying, hey, I need to prepare my Jewish people. uh, I need to prepare them physically to know they are consecrated to me because this is the Old Testament, right? But in the New Testament, what does he do? He offers a sacrifice that allows us to receive Christ through faith by grace Right? And he allows us to only inwardly, um, inwardly be consecrated to the Lord. So it's no longer an outward picture, but as an inward picture. God consecrates his people. We won't go again into great detail about this, but this meant a lot uh, to these people. Uh, by the way, these men, you would think, well, it doesn't make sense. Why weren't they circumcised the eighth day? Like Paul, why weren't they circumcised much earlier when they were younger? Think about it. Every man, every man that came out of Egypt was a man of war, right? They went down into the Red Sea. They came up out of the Red Sea. Were any of those men alive at this point? Were they? No. Every man had died by this point. This is a completely different generation. And Joshua had not been commanded and Moses had not been commanded to circumcise the men when they were born of this. So this is all of the, the sons of the men of war from Moses' day. 
Uh, so this is a new generation and God is consecrating and God is providing his people um, the ability to consecrate themselves to him through this. Now, Joshua had a big part in this. You read uh, Joshua chapter number five. Uh, Joshua had an extreme leadership role in this, this aspect. We won't go into that. But how does God consecrate it? us today. He rolls away the reproach of our sins by the blood of Christ. That's how he uh, consecrates us today. He enables us to live a victorious Christian life by giving us the Holy Spirit, and he gives us an everlasting covenant through Christ, right? He gives us that grace covenant through Christ. Again, doing this at, at this point in time makes absolutely no sense to a man of war. These men were put out of commission. And that makes no sense. But with God, His ways are not always our ways. Our ways are not always His ways. His ways are higher than ours. So God consecrates His people. Uh, by the way, God was showing Himself that He is their protector, right? He is the man of war for them. He is their deliverer. He is their conqueror. And by the way, He is yours as well. So when you think that God is putting you in a vulnerable position in your Christian life, if you think that God is putting you out there too far to something that you don't think you can handle or you don't, you don't think you'll be safe in, God has got you. God is your protector. God is your provider. God is your conqueror on your behalf. They allowed God, by the way, each man allowed God to prove himself powerful by putting them out of commission in their weakness. Will you let God show himself powerful in your life? Do you know this in the Christian life? There's not always times to act, right? There's not always things that you could do physically in the Christian life. A lot of the Christian life is taking time to be holy and waiting on the Lord. And that's what the people were doing. They were taking time to do the right thing. They were taking time to be holy and to do right by the Lord and to wait on what the Lord had for them. If they had just charged into Jericho and tried to uh, climb up those gigantic walls, which we'll talk about in a couple weeks, if they were to just go try to do something like that, they would have utterly failed because they would have went, out, went without the presence of the Lord, which we'll talk about in a second. Secondly, God displays His goodness. Not only does God consecrate His people, but God displays His goodness. This is pretty cool. We talked about, to an extent... Um, this is a cool moment for the children of Israel. So look in verse number 10. And the children of Israel encamped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at even in the plains of Jericho. And they did eat of the old corn of the land on the morrow after the Passover, unleavened cakes and parched corn in the selfsame day. And the manna ceased on the morrow after they had eaten of the old corn of the land. Neither had the children of Israel manna any more but they did eat of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. And the children of Israel said, Amen. For 40 years, the children of Israel, for breakfast, for lunch, for afternoon snack, for midnight snack, for dinner, had eaten manna. It was the only thing on the menu for them to eat. Can you imagine? You're one of these men of war. You're 38 years old. And all you have had your entire life is manna. The word manna literally means in the Hebrew, manna means what is this? It was a weird food. By the way, it was a miracle food. And it was not meant to sustain them for 40 years. God had meant the wilderness wanderings to only happen for a short period of time. Right? So it was something just to get them by, a miracle just to get them by until they could go into Canaan. But the people of Israel committed the great sin of complaining 
and worshiping other gods and not uh, following the commands of Moses that God had given him. And God, for 40 years, made the children of Israel eat the same diet. Can you imagine that? Now, I know that you all like chicken nuggets. But imagine, for 40 years, and they're not Chick-fil-A nuggets. These are like Walmart brand, microwaved, warm. No, 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 lukewarm. No sauce. Chicken nuggets with soggy breading. All right, so imagine, and you would just hold up the nugget and you would say, what is this? Right? You would say, what is this? Right? For 40 years, right? If you're a woman and you've lived through all this and you're 60 years old, and from the time you're 20 to the time you're 60, manna has been the only thing you have eaten. Now, I'm not saying they should have complained about it. It was a miracle of God, right? These people should have died at their first complaint. I actually read in the book of Exodus the other day how when they were going through the wilderness, they started to complain, and then God made fire wrap around all of them. Like not consuming them, but God, in the place they were in, he made fire wrap. He showed his wrath. God could have simply just consumed the people. Oh, really? You're going to complain about the miracle that I've given you? I'm sure parents can relate. Really? You're going to complain about the, the lunch or the dinner I'm giving you? Woof! Right? Not that parents would cut you on fire. But I'm saying the wrath of God could have literally just consumed them. God could have said, oh, I'll just find another Israel. Oh, I'll just create another people. Oh, I'll just choose to reveal myself to a different people. No, God didn't do that. God provided again and was patient again with his people. And God displayed his goodness by ending the miracle of manna and by giving them the fruit of the land. Right? This is amazing. Can you imagine after eating chicken nuggets for 40 years, you see on the horizon... A Dairy Queen. And you go to that Dairy Queen and you say, you look at the menu and your eyes are all blurry and you think it all says manna. You say, like a cup of manna. And they say, oh, we don't have manna here. We only have ice cream. And then your brain explodes. <laughs> and you're like, ice cream? I haven't ice cream in 40 years, right? Can you imagine? It was awesome. The people were loving. They were eating of the fruit of the land that God had promised them. By the way, isn't it interesting that God says, I'm going to give you a land that flows with milk and honey, and you're going to eat off the fruit of the land. And now for the first time, they're getting the glimpse that God and his goodness is providing not just a miracle from heaven, but a miracle on earth to give them the fruit of the land that they are enjoying this day. By the way, I think it's interesting also that they're probably eating of the leftover harvest from the city Jericho, and there's some significance there as well. They're eating of the leftovers from the Jericho people who had just, by the way, it was a time of harvest, right? Because the Jordan River, remember, it's a time of harvest. It's at its widest point. So now the corn is fresh for the people of God, and they go in and they enjoy it, and God showed his goodness to these people. God allows them to do this because the men, by the way, by the way, God allows them the feast of the Passover because the men get circumcised, right? For 40 years, they have not celebrated the Passover where Moses went over, right? They celebrated it twice. They celebrated it the night that they passed over the Red Sea and then they celebrated it at Kadesh Barnea. And then they did not celebrate it for 40 years, or a little bit less than 40, a few days less than 40 years, but they didn't celebrate it since. So the, there were people that had never celebrated the Jewish Passover. There were people that had never done that. And you could study that on your own, but there's great significance to it as well. It's showing it's a meal where God, uh, it's remembering the promises and the provision of God. This promise, by the way, was no doubt an exciting one to the people, that God was going to continue to provide this kind of food. Um, teenagers, this speaks to your heart, right? God provides us even the good stuff, like the good food. By the way, the Lord himself is going to serve us 
at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Wow. Wow. Can you imagine what kind of food it's going to be? Like, is he going to be wearing a Chick-fil-A hat? I don't know. I don't know what it's going to be, but it's going to be awesome, and it's going to be something that we can't ever imagine. Thirdly, how does God uh, prepare us for battle? No, by the way, God showing his goodness to us brings an encouragement. It brings a nutrition to us. It brings a, a help to our souls that makes us realize, hey, you know what? I'm going to, go to, I'm going to go into war for God. I'm going to go into war because God is worthy, and God and his goodness uh, have been good to me, not only to save my soul, but to provide small things even for me. So firstly, uh, God consecrates his people. Secondly, God shows his goodness to his people. And thirdly, God reminds of his presence. God reminds of his presence. I'm going to use a word here that maybe you've not heard of in a second, but look at these verses. Verse number 13, And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho, and he lifted up his eyes and looked, behold, there stood a man over against him with a sword drawn in his hand, and Joshua went up to him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? And he said, Nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord, Am I, am I now come? And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? Who is this soldier that stands before Joshua? Jesus Christ, the pre-incarnate Christ. Joshua, like Moses, refuses to move forward into war without knowing that the Lord's presence was with him. Exodus thirty-three fifteen. this is what uh, Moses said. And he said unto them, and he said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. Joshua 1.5 There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. This paragraph records one of the pre-incarnation appearances of the Lord Jesus Christ recorded in the Old Testament. Guys, there is great significance here, so pay attention for at least the next two minutes. Okay? This is extremely significant because who Jesus Christ shows up as, right? There are several, many pre-incarnation appearances of Jesus Christ, right? There are several. Uh, to Abraham, the pilgrim, the Lord came as a traveler to share a friendly meal. That's in Genesis uh, 18, verses 1 through 8. To Jacob, the schemer, he came as a wrestler to bring him to a place of submission. Remember, uh, Jacob wrestles all night with the pre-incarnate Christ. That's in, verse, that, that's in chapter 32, verses 24 through 32 of Exodus. The, the, he, the three Hebrew men uh, met him as their companion in the furnace of fire. And Joshua here, about to go into warfare, the men are now all healed up, right? They have now eaten of the fruit of the land. It's time to go to war. Joshua met him as the captain of the Lord's armies. What does this say to us? The Lord always shows up exactly who we need Him to be. Do you understand what I'm saying? The Lord could have shown up in any form, but He showed up as a soldier. Not just as a soldier, but as a captain of the Lord's armies. What was God showing to Joshua? Joshua, this is not your battle. Joshua, this is my battle. Joshua, you need only obey me. You need only continue with my presence. And I promise you, the victory is not yours. The victory is the Lord's. And this was the captain of the Lord's host. Our Lord always comes to us when we need him and in the way that we need him. By the way, teenager, God understands everything that you need. You say, God couldn't understand my thought life. God couldn't understand my emotional needs or, or what I think I need. God couldn't understand me. God already understands you. 
God knows everything about you and God knows exactly what you need. But what does he want from you? He wants you to pray to him. He wants you to ask for help, right? He wants you to reach out. He wants you to trust in him. And when you trust in him, God will come strong on your behalf. So how do we, uh, how do you need the Lord's help? Let me ask you that. How do you need the Lord's help? Let me encourage you with this. He will come just when you need him and just how you need him. And by the way, you need him right now. You need him every hour of every day. You need the Lord. So how do you need him right now? And I'm not encouraging you just to pray to the Lord when you need him, right? Because you always need him. You might not always be aware of that, but you always need the Lord. But I can tell you this. Joshua needed the captain of the Lord host. Joshua needed, in order for the people of Israel to take Jericho, Joshua needed something bigger than what he had. And God came and showed him exactly what he needed to hear. And by the way, you know something cool? In chapter number 6, we don't, we don't know exactly what happened between Joshua and the Lord. Um, it doesn't say a conversation was had. Uh, the Lord tells him to take off your shoes because the ground which you stand on is holy ground. It would be awesome in heaven if God just let us see what happened between the captain of the Lord host and Joshua. Right? And later in the passage, later in chapter number 6, the Lord gives him like a battle plan. But it would have been cool to see exactly what happened here. Um, but we'll talk about that a little bit next week. But I want to promise you this. God is going to come when you need him, just when you need him, and the way that you need him. By the way, don't use the Lord as some rabbit's foot that you say, oh, I need this. Let me go to prayer. Right? That's not a relationship. If I were to only talk to my wife, Allison, when I needed something, there would be a problem, wouldn't there? Your relationship with God is just that. It's a relationship, right? So be in prayer. Be reading your Bible. Get to know your Lord more. And I promise you this, God is going to show himself strong on your behalf. Are you ready for war? Are you equipped with the correct weapons? Are you ready for spiritual warfare? I can tell you this, I've got some stuff to work on. I've got some things that I need. I've got some, some, some courage to grow. I've got some things that, that the Lord can work on me with, but God desires that we be spiritually prepared before we can be used by Him in warfare. If we're not ready, we got to get ready. A war is coming and a war is here, a spiritual war for your mind, for your heart, for your life. Get ready because God wants to use you.